It is time for this week's edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. And joining me, as he does every week, Mr. Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. And Terry, we have a new appearance for you to promote. So let's get that in right away. You're going to be at the Rodman Library and Alliance on Tuesday, June 27th at 6.30 p.m. Why don't you talk about that for a second and how people can sign up. Yeah, I think you could go to the website there for Robin Library, look it up and sign up. And I think they want you to to call in. Um, most of the time, if you show up, even if you don't sign up, they'll, they'll let you in. Once in a while, we've had where they just run out of chairs. But for the most part, it's usually a good thing. It's been interesting to me, David, like when I go to places like Alliance or New Philadelphia or sort of the outlying areas, how big the crowds are. And, you know, people are very anxious to, you know, talk about sports. And uh, it also just shows the power of the Internet, you know, where the uh, reach of uh, uh, the stories go. So it's one of the things I we talk about, I say, dwindling paper circulations. But I really believe, given the Internet and the power of the Web, I'm more read now than ever in my life and certainly more I widely read widely mm-hmm. read when you start talking about getting emails from Australia and Europe and those kind of places. So that's what, could, what a really cool thing is. And even like the podcast too, where people get to hear us and, you know, they're driving somewhere, they're in California. So it's a lot of fun. And I just want to thank everybody for not just the appearances, but just so glad that uh, after all these years, um, you know, I'll be able to keep doing this, David. I'm not young like you. <laughs> All right. Again, that's June 27th at 6.30 p.m. It's not named after Dennis Rodman, right? The Rodman Library? I don't Library? think so. No. I don't Although, think he so. was one of the greatest rebounders in NBA history. So. Yeah, and he it, was. And that's an alliance. Again, June 27th at 6.30. So. All right, Terry, it's been a busy day for you. We're taping this on Tuesday afternoon. You were out in Berea at Brown's mandatory minicamp, and you, you already put up some scribbles about it. Uh, it. It seems like the receivers really caught your eye today when you were out there. They did, and part of it, too, is Watson's throwing the ball better. That helps. The other part is, as one of the Browns executives explained to me, they have all these – they keep adding new rules of what you cannot do in terms of contact in these situations. So they don't want any contact with the shoulders or head or whatsoever. So they really don't want a lot of guys jumping up in the air at the same time and um, making a play on the – in other words, the, the, the defender can make a play on the ball. They'll make a play on the receiver. Um, although right at the end of practice, Cedric Tillman, the rookie, went up between two like second or third string defensive backs, and that looked like football. He came down with it, and everybody fell on top of each other, and they weren't thrilled about that. And, but to see Tillman make that catch, but he's six foot three. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is six foot two, and Amari Cooper six one. And you look at how Cooper and uh, DP, DPJ catch the ball, how long their arms are. Um, I could see why the Browns are not in any big hurry to throw a ton of money at, at uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I think they like what they have with those three guys and along with Elijah Moore. And, you know, they have some other guys, Marquise Goodwin. But uh, it, w- it was almost like they reminded me, and like sometimes in basketball, how you're throwing the ball over the defense, like one big guy throwing it to another. And Watson was doing that. He was throwing the ball with defenders, especially to uh, to Cooper and DP, uh, and Peoples-Jones. And it, it was very effective. And, you know, Watson looked great. You, yeah, you should look good in these seven-on-seven seven drills and that. But I've watched balls land all over the place over the years in Berea during this, you know, the time from I, – I know sometimes Brady Quinn would be really good, and other times it's like, did he just throw that ball to Euclid? I mean, where did that, what was <laughs> looking at? Where was that going? You know, poor Deshaun Kaiser. And I remember Robert Griffin, the third, these balls would go like flying up against the walls outside of there. It was just, so it was, you know, if you're, if you're the Browns, a seven, a great, great seven on seven and a good OTAs from Deshaun Watson doesn't mean you, you plant the, the Super Bowl flag, but also every step he takes in a positive direction, is probably a, a bit of relief for them because, they could say whatever they want. Those last six games are disturbing uh, to the Browns. I mean, it wasn't just rust. I mean, he looked bad. And so they want him to look good. 
And this is the season, Terry, of no excuses, right? Mm-hmm. And and for Deshaun Watson to have no excuses, he's got to have guys that he can trust to go to with the ball. And um, it's interesting. I, I, I think you wrote about this too. Kevin Stefanski and the, and the coaches have been talking all season about being more dangerous downfield. Mm-hmm. But and, and I think they are. You know, they've added speed with more and 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 um, you know, Good and Goodwin. Some and and but beyond that, they're more explosive, like going up in the air mm-hmm. now too. Yes. It seems like it used to just be DPJ, but now you said like Tillman can go get it. Um, they want guys to be able to catch balls. If they're, if they're a little bit wide, if they're a little bit high, go get the ball. And and they've really bolstered that receiving room in a big way. Yeah. And uh, people are uh, the best thing that Najoku uh, does. as a receiver. I think is he'll go up and make some gigantic catch jumps over everybody. Of course, he'll drop an easy one now. And, but, but Najoku is good at that. Uh, and, you have to throw the ball just the right way because I remember Eric Mangini was telling me, I was talking about, boy, you know, it's really nice when you throw that high pass and only a receiver could get it. He said, but yeah, you don't want to throw it too high because what happens? The dreaded deflection. Off the finger, ball goes up in the air, and next thing you know, it's caught uh, by the other team. So, what I didn't see any of that. I mean, Watson was extremely accurate. I think on uh, they had 10 red zone plays where they kind of start at the 20, go the 15 to 10. Uh, he had nine completions out of 10 throws. Uh, the only one, he had one tipped by, uh, I think Newsom did, uh, tipped it, and then it got picked off. But that was it. Um, so, and that really wasn't his fault because, I, no, that, that was his fault. Yeah, that was a bad throw. Somebody else had it. An interception that my guy Cameron Mitchell got an interception, but it came right off the hands of a receiver whose name I forgot was a, you know, I mean, you, by the end of this thing, you're looking at that. There are guys on the field. I don't know who these people are. There's a guy named Harden out there and somebody else. So and I don't think it was James. <laughs> He is available though. So, mm-hmm. and so Terry, we, we kind of have been talking about DeAndre Hopkins last couple of weeks. You, you've written that you're not real excited about that prospect. And no. it sounds like you're getting the feeling that the Browns aren't that excited about it either. No, no, I've done some checking. I don't think they are. Now they could of course change their mind if the price drops, but Hopkins's view. And remember, he just signed with clutch agency out of Cleveland. He didn't do that to sign with the Browns. He did that to get a better deal. Because Clutch has really been, uh, started by Rich Ball, has really been doing a lot of work in the football area. And they want big contracts. It's kind of like uh, what I mentioned before about Shane Beaver being with Drew Rosenhaus. And Rosenhaus hired a guy from the Scott Borles agency. Uh, you know, Rosenhaus being a premier football agent, moving into baseball. He's not there to do a hometown di- discount for Shane Beaver. Well, Clutch is not there to uh, take a sweetheart deal for uh, – uh, Hopkins, they want to get big money for him, you know, something like what Odell got, um, and which was 15 million plus plus incentives, no less. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But hey, you know, like John Johnson the third, he's still out there. Sometimes yeah. you can you can get going, and I'm not saying he's great, but you would think by now he'd be in camp somewhere. Uh, Clowney's not in camp, but I could see that. I think that interview Clowney did with Mary Kay, that was you talk about just drive a, a screwdriver into your own heart to kill your own career i mean my goodness he didn't put his foot in his mouth i mean he just he just he put his i mean really with his his mouth he messed up his career i imagine somebody will bring him in some but sometime but boy and the money and the lost money oh even if he does get signed so uh-huh yep yeah, I'm a little surprised, Terry. Um, it, it, it's everybody's waiting for kind of that June 1st foot to drop, mm-hmm. uh, shoe to drop, not the foot, the, sh- the shoe to drop. The foot is in and... the middle of Clowney's <laughs> mouth. Remember that. That's right. And you'd think uh, you thought like Hopkins and some of these other guys would have been happening pretty quickly after that, but it's already the sixth here, and 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 some of these guys are still out there, including him. So we I shall think a see. lot of teams too have figured out that yeah, this guy might be better than I have, but how much better? At what price? And the Browns have to be careful. That's one of the things I mentioned about Hopkins. It's like, it's not just simply, oh, you know, you don't want Hopkins. He's better than some of the guys. Of course, he's better than some of the guys they have. But you have to make sure you watch your salary cap. And right now, I think they're $5 million under. And they'll be adding maybe 8 to $10 million more. 
But I know I had a talk with Andrew Berry about this oh, maybe a year or so ago. And he mentioned he likes to have like eight or ten million dollar wiggle room because you don't know. You could go in the second week of the season if two running backs go down or something like that. You want or like when they brought in um, uh, Zadarius Smith, you know, there was a guy sitting out there that they didn't anticipate would be available. And that was where kind of their big ten million dollar move went for him. And you can't make it if you don't have the money. So you're right. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move to the, to the defense, Terry. You mentioned Zadarius Smith um, playing inside on the defense. Obviously, no hitting today, but um, what did you see from the defense and, and him? I admit it was hard. I, I wasn't sure what I was watching because a lot of this was seven-man defense and it seemed to me like they were just um, putting in a lot of, uh, uh, you know, whatever they call it, the install. Mm-hmm. Um, it is fascinating to watch how – Jim uh, Schwartz stands right kind of almost in front of the center. He's looking at his defense and they're off the line and he's listening. I was told he's listening to hear the calls. He wants to hear how they're calling out the different things and that. Now, a guy that was very interesting and I hope I get his name, McLeod, the kid they signed, young man they signed from uh, uh, last stop was the Colts who had played previously for Schwartz. He was fascinating to listen to today, David. I mean, this is your, Another one, you know, the, a glue guy, a good clubhouse guy. He actually compared Schwartz to Greg Williams, who he had played for earlier in his career. Only he said, I mean, their personalities are different, but he said that Greg Williams, when he played for him, was had a way of galvanizing men to play together, giving the defense an identity, having them really buy into each other. And, you know, you go back and look at what it was a strange season. I believe Greg Williams' record is 5-3 and three as the head coach of the Browns. Remember, he that, did come in right. after all that chaos. I'm not making any going any farther than that. But he did bring order and a sense of purpose to them. And he said Schwartz is a master of that. So it isn't just he's going to run the forefront or even that big, you know, the wide four or that, you know, a five-man front he's talking about. It's more of the unit. And I thought that that was really missing. It was another part uh, previously the last few years. The defense didn't have much of an identity at all. No, that's for sure. And, you know, the the thing that has been interesting to me so far, and you mentioned him standing above the center and watching the defense, most mm. coordinators would come in and I, I want to see which guys are physical and I want to see which guys can, you know, cover man to man and stick their nose in when there's a running play. Like Jim Schwartz, he, he saw the film last year. He knows the deal. And he saw how many communication breakdowns there mm. were from week one to week 17. And he's like, we're not putting up with that this year. And the communication seems to be at the top of his list in terms of we're going to talk, we're going to over-communicate, and we're not going to have any of that crap happen this year. And he's he's going to put a stop to it. I have no doubts. I mean, I really Miles don't. Garrett talked about this too. He said one is the, the, the assignments are easier on the defensive line. He said, I don't know everything that's going to secondary. He said, but what I've looked at, uh, he said, we really should – cut a lot of those blown coverages down but he said there were a lot of blown assignments on the defensive line too so in other words there was too much going on here uh he, he says something like it's hard to play because i guess you have to you have a couple of basic things to do but the, the the defensive assignments are simple in other words you, you know what you ought to be doing it may be a real challenge for you to do it but the days of three defensive backs staring at each other and pointing fingers like, you know, the little kids in the room like someone who's who spilled the chocolate milk all over the floor. No, he did it. He did it. I, I don't know what it did. I wasn't even in the room. Um, that should uh, end because, you know, that how many games did that cost them last year? Two or three? Oh, at least, at least it is. It's like that Spider-Man meme from that new Spider-Man movie where all the Spider-Men are pointing at each other. Yeah, it really was that. Except it's Brown's defensive backs, you know? So, you know, and that, so I, that's been, you know, this is the time of year when everything's upbeat and people are in a good mood. But I do believe when I listen how players, do they seem to be just kind of mouthing sort of cliches or do they go into depth on this? And what I'm hearing, especially from the defensive guys, is how this is very intriguing to them. 
they sense that they have more of a, a leader that they appeal to, that, that appeals to, the, you know, basically the best in them, uh, and that they lacked an identity. That's what I heard before. And the good defenses all have an identity. And those men on defense, they long for that. That's part of the reason. You know, it is a violent game, and they want to have each other's back. And the same way the good offensive linemen, they always have, you know, an offensive lineman's the code never should be, even if that left guard next to me blew the, blew the assignment, no, we should have picked it up. You never say a negative word about, you know, who's on the offensive line. Well, Terry, I, I will throw this out there. My prediction is that Jim Schwartz will be the most important addition for the entire Browns season this year. I think he's going to have the biggest impact of any of the players or any or uh, Ventrone or anybody else that they brought in. I think he's going to just revamp and re revitalize that whole unit. I think you're right. And uh, I, I'm really curious to see how these guys play when their pads are on. They're, they're having uh, not only just training camp, but also the practices against the Eagles which I think yes. are going to be really revealing. I cannot wait to see those. So I remember right. watching that stuff with the Eagles last year, Dave, and 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 I'm going. I was talking to uh, Lance Reisel, our our film guy, and I said, and I always say this: because in three sports, the one I know the least is football. I, I admit that. You know, I I played baseball at Benedictine, and even one year at Hiram College. You know, basketball. I covered a lot of NBA. I was a bad basketball player in high school. I did nothing in football. And I, th- I think it does help to do that. And my brother was a high school football and, and I'm, excuse me, high school basketball and baseball coach at Cleveland Central Catholic and, and elsewhere. So, uh, but the football thing confuses me. But I, I remember saying to Lance, is it me or the Eagles look really good? Are, are the Browns bad? And he said, no, you know, he just liked, uh, uh, you could see what, uh, what Hertz was doing out there. That he was tough, uh, you know, tough to, to contain. And they just, he just thought that they were going to have a breakthrough year. I don't think anybody knew Super Bowl, um, but that was that. Was, and you could see it though in those workouts, even though they really weren't hitting much or anything. Well, there's going to be some wood laid that day. It's going to be really fun. Mm-hmm. So, and it's in Philadelphia. So, that's something to look forward to later this uh, summer. So, all right, Terry, you want to take a quick break here? Sure. All right, let's do that. When we come back, I want to ask you about. Shane Bieber and whether you think he'll be on the Guardians after the trade deadline on August 1st. I want to hear your thoughts on that. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We are back on Terry's Talking. We're going to get into the Guardians here. Terry, they're 27 and 32. They're three and a half games behind the Twins. They, uh, they, they, it looked like the series in Minnesota was starting off rough, but then the Guardians pulled it together. Um, and they're back in second place in the division. So that was a positive development for them. Uh, one guy who's kind of starting to heat up a little bit, Terry, is Andres Jimenez. His batting average is up to 249. He's up to 674 OPS. I think he's nine for 20 in his last five games, which is great to see if you're the Guardians. Um, what are you seeing from him? And we were talking about him last week, but as soon as we did, he started really putting it together at the plate. And that's one of the things where, I mean, I remember even getting emails when they sent him to the minors and that. And actually, I, I chatted with Chris Antonetti a little bit about that. And he said, well, we haven't even thought about that. He said, but you, you have to look at the total player. He says he's elite defensively um, and also that uh, he's good on the bases. He said, we just have to, we're committed to him. I mean, committed to the point of $104 million. Uh, but also they just felt, you know, the Terry Francona thing, if you really believe in the guy, you have to give him room to get there. And he started to hit. Now what they want to see is if he begins to pull the ball a little more, David. Uh, he's had a couple doubles, but I think he had 17 home runs last season. You know, So they, they want to see some of that uh, power come back. Uh, but it's just a refreshing thing. He was beating himself up mentally. I remember in spring training several years ago, I asked Francona about you know one of the tougher things he's found as a manager. And he said um, – one of the hard things, he says, this is especially for hitters. He said, confidence is such a big deal. So, But you tell a guy who's not hitting, like Andres, oh, be confident. You've been a good hitter before. Keep your confidence. But he goes to the point right now, he knows he's like one for 20 or whatever. His confidence is shaken. You know how you get confidence? You get success. But if you don't, But a lot of times, too, if you don't have success, it's hard to get your confidence. 
and it is strange how they say, you know, a broken bat hit and then maybe a double off the wall does get you going. It seemed to do that with Jimenez. Uh, but he's such a key player to them. And they need that, uh, his doubles and just the energy he brings uh, there. Um, so that's that's been a relief. You know, they finally got somebody with power to get hot, and that was Josh Naylor, who we'd never need to see stealing third base again. <laughs> I mean, I'm like watching that, and he goes and like, and you're going in head first. And of course, he jammed his wrist. Fortunately, it wasn't too bad. But and also remember, he is a guy that his leg was put together like with an erector set after that big injury and collision he had a couple of years ago. So, you know, just play station to station baseball, Josh. I mean, I know you love hot. You got that hockey mentality, which you could relate to. But there's hockey and there's dumb. <laughs> don't don't be a dumb base runner. There's a t-shirt. There's hockey and there's dumb. So, yeah, and being such a big guy too, yeah. like that's a lot of wear and tear and pounding and and running into guys and you never know. You never know. It's not worth it. So, mm-hmm. um so Terry, there's been some you've been getting some emails about the future of Shane Bieber with the Guardians and and the clock is ticking there. And he has lost some velocity. I know that a lot of baseball watchers have noticed his strikeouts are down in addition to his velocity. Uh, do you think that he will be gone by August 1st when the trade deadline hits and will, will he be around after that? Or, or do you think this is the time when they get the most for him? And we've seen the guardians do this years, years in a row, time after time where they they trade guys at just the right time. But do you think this is, this is when it's going to happen? Yes, I do. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a couple reasons. I mean, number one is he's not going to resign here. They tried a couple times. Earlier in the broadcast, I mentioned the Drew Rosenhaus factor. Um, they want to get him to the open market. Then, secondly, um, they have all this young starting pitching coming. You know, Bybee, Logan Allen, uh, Quantrill. I'm, actually, I'm kind of glad Quantrill went on the uh, injured list because he's one of my favorites. And I wonder, what was his problem? It was odd. I was watched him. And his velocity was fine, but it's like, man, he was just throwing fat pitch after fat pitch. And so he, you know, so he was then they took a cortisone shot in his, his shoulder, and hopefully that'll calm it down. You know, McKenzie's come back and threw great. I always hold my breath. I know Savali pitched well, but just so many injuries for him. Uh, Gavin Williams down in AAA, he's ready to go. Joey Cantillo is not that far away. They've got a lot of starters coming, and whether Bieber's – strikeouts are down or whatnot, any good team would want him. And they, David, I keep looking at the farm system. I don't see any bats. There are no power bats ready to go. And that's the problem. I, you know, I've been looking the last week or two to see what's out there around the majors in terms of like a good veteran power hitter. I got a name. I'll throw it to you here in a minute, but there's not a lot of people out there that I think the guardians would want back as a, as a big bet that I can see that are available right now. Cause with the the way the playoffs are set up, a lot of teams are going to be in it when the trade deadline hits. It's just it seems like it's a really thin market right now. But they may turn around, David. This like for example, certain teams just seem to have hitter after hitter after hitter and don't have any pitchers. You know, you marry that up with the team that has all the pitchers and no hitters, and so suddenly that guy's maybe in his second season or whatever, and they project him to do well. Um, that would be the guy that they trade Bieber for along with some others. So uh, I just, there's a lot of matches. Sp- starting pitching is the hardest to develop and the most expensive commodity in Major League Baseball. And that is just a fact. And if you look at, I think a few years ago of the rotation, I was looking at this. That's when they had Bieber and they had Plezak and they had Savali and they had Clevenger and Bauer for part of that season. And you go back and look who's left, you know, because um, McKenzie hadn't come up yet. So Savali's been on the injured list. Plezak is in purgatory now. They couldn't even, you know, they couldn't find a trading partner for him. They're still looking, though. Probably get somebody to take him. You know, Bauer, Bauer, Bauer went over to Japan, got hit so hard. They sent him, Japan, they'll send you down to the minors for a game or two to find your stuff and bring him back up. Um, I mean, you can really, you need the the starters keep coming. Um, Clevenger's been on and off the injured list for the last few years, so 
Um, that's why um, I know that the uh, Guardians don't want to train their young starting pitchers, but I just think that's why Bieber would, would bring them quite a bit, even if his strikeouts are down and so on. And he's got not just this season, he wouldn't be a rental. He's got another year after this of team control. Yeah, and that's right? why so you that want to do that. Big, I know they, deal. like, they went into the second, uh, when Lindor had two years to go. So they opened that season, but that turned out to be the COVID season. And so that was hard to make a big move then. And I remember talking to uh, some of the Guardians people, and they said that, you know, teams were just reluctant to to make a deal for Lindor at the middle of that season uh, because of the uh, ramifications of trying to sign him to a long-term contract. And and really, they when they ended up even putting in a market with on the market with one year to go, they only had two real serious bidders. That was Toronto and the Mets. And the Mets, you know, the guy that owns the Mets, the the, the hedge fund guy, he just pays anything. He doesn't care. Um, you see Lindor, the last I looked, he's sitting like 215 and getting booed over there again. Yeah, I, I was just looking that up, Terry, today. he's I think he's got a 688 OPS through the yeah. first 60 games, and that is 26th among the 48 players who've played shortstop and have at least 50 plate appearances. So they're paying, what, $341 million mm-hmm. for Francisco Lindor, and he's yeah. the 26th best shortstop? Uh, boy, that's that's and, rough. And you look at that where he, he's had a strange career of late. Because if you remember, like in um, 2019, I think he hit like 260, 270. Then his average went down in, in 20. Then remember, he, he, he went to um, the Mets in, in 21. He had a terrible year. 22, he bounced back, played very well. But now he's not hitting again. And this guy... He's so talented and so gifted. It's hard to imagine that, David, uh, what's going on with him. But it is, and um, we shall see. But that was a, a – I don't think they want to go into the offseason with Beaver with only one year to go and try to try to make a trade there. You know, some fans will say that could hurt them and a chance for the Central Division, and that could, that's probably true. But they're looking long-term. It's, it's hard to – examine this team and just say, boy, you've got to go all in on it now. They still have the youngest roster in the big leagues. All right, Terry, another guy that we probably should talk about real quick. I don't know if he'd be part of a trade situation or not, but Ahmed Rosario, um, he's kind of had an interesting season so far. Bad season, actually. (laughs) Um, And I like Ahmed. I've been kind of a defender, but his defense has declined. Um, he really hasn't started to hit. It looked for, he had like a good 10 days and got up around 250 and that, but um, he hasn't he hasn't looked that good there. Whereas you know they, they have a ton of middle infielders. Uh, I'm sure they'd love to package those two together, Ahmed and uh, Bieber, because you knock about well, they, right now between combined they make about 19 million. So you'd knock about half of that off the payroll when when you make the trade. And, you know, the Guardians are always all for cutting payroll when when they're because then they could turn around and do something else. For example, like next year, um, unless something totally – they're going to end up having to pay um, $17 million for Josh Bell next year because he has a player option for next year, $17 million. And I don't know if he's going to start to hit or what. I just – I don't know, David. Do you see any hope for Josh Bell? I mean, it's June, Terry. And it's got to happen soon if it's going to happen. I'm, I bet he's really glad it's a player option. Yeah, it <laughs> is. And, option. and you roll back. See what I did? I rolled it back to when he was traded at the end of um, July of 2022. You're now at something like 430 plate appearances. And I think he's got in that span seven homers. Seven. Oof. Yeah. All right. All right, Terry, I wanted to throw a question in here. Hey, Terry, question. This is Russ from Fort Worth, Texas, and this is kind of related to what we're talking about here. He says, hey, guys, been reading about the Dodgers needing a shortstop and starting pitching. So if I, and just as an everyday fan, I know this, I can't imagine the Guardians front office hasn't been looking there for a trade partner. 
If we give up Bieber and Rosario, who would you want back? And tell Terry, I grew up in Lindhurst and that Dave Tobik played on a Little League team with me. He was really good. The only games we lost was when I pitched. Yeah, <laughs> That's from Russ in Fort Worth, Texas. Well, so. I, I think we mentioned once in a podcast, the only big league pitcher that I ever faced uh, when I was in high school, uh, in fact, it was a summer league uh, thing, was uh, Tobik when he's pitching for Brush. I still didn't see those. It was just this white whoosh and a blur that went by me. And uh, I think he probably threw the low, low to mid-90s, which was very fast for back then. I don't know the Dodgers farm system well enough, but they're, that's the kind of thing you look at. The Dodgers were very, they wanted Lindor, but they didn't want to give up hardly anybody for him way back when. Cause right. they dropped out. Of, they dropped out of that uh, bidding quickly. Uh, so they would be a natural, certainly money they don't care about. And um, I, I know this, I have a lot of confidence in this front office when it comes to making trades. I think the fans do too. I mean, you yeah. just look at their track record. They've, they probably win 80%, if not more. I mean, we, and we've talked about that uh, on this podcast repeatedly, but um, t- there's a guy, Terry, I'm just going to throw and, and his sometimes, name Sometimes David, but, by the way, too, they'll yeah. turn around and they gave up like Owen Miller sitting like 320 from Milwaukee. They, 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 they targeted him. He wasn't the main guy in that trade for uh, Clevenger, but he was a guy they wanted very much. They gave him about 500 at-bats here. He didn't do much, but they kept thinking he was going to hit. And of course, then they gave up on him, and now he's hitting. That that always bugs you. So you were sort of like, you were right in the first place. You just didn't wait it out. Terry, one name I just want to throw out, just somebody I kind of picked up on, and I have no inside information on this or anything, but it's just a guy. I've been trying to look for someone who you know, wasn't a huge investment, can hit left-handers. This guy is batting 302 against lefties this year. Brent Rooker, he plays outfield and first base for the A's. He's kind of been looked at as like a guy who goes between AAA and the majors a lot. I think he's like 28, 29 years old, not arbitration eligible, but he's batting 263 this year, 11 homers, 32 RBIs, and he's got an 865 slugging percentage. I just thought he could be like a good plug-in piece down Mm -hmm. the stretch, and I don't know that it would take a ton to get him, but you know how much trouble the Guardians have had against lefties this season. And this guy seems like he could be versatile, give you a veteran, give you some good at-bats against left-handed pitching. I just, I, He just seems like he might be a fit. So I just thought I'd throw his name out there just in case this is something to watch down the line. So Yeah, Brent they Rooker. could. I mean, and he's a kind of the A's there too. You could give him a bunch of Class A prospects or something and and see what you, what you want to do because they have z- less than zero interest in winning any games. Um, and so. new stadium in Vegas, yeah, you, yeah. And so he might be someone they could get uh, for not a lot. So anyway, just the name I, mean, I thought I'm looking, I would throw He's out there. got uh, uh, he's got 11 homers and 212 plate appearances, so that would be nice. Um, he, I don't know what kind of outfielder he is or whatnot, but uh, sure, that would be. Why not? You get the A's. <laughs> and, you know, when in doubt, trade with San Diego. I haven't looked at who's left at their prospects, but they love to trade with San Diego. Um, and remember, uh, one of the cat, one of the uh, Guardians' top people told me, he said, part of the reason we trade with San Diego, we have done so much work on all their prospects because of all the deals. We feel pretty confident uh, when we're looking at them because we, if they have anybody left, they know them inside and out. Yeah, yeah. All right, Terry, so the Guardians are back at it today. On Tuesday, they've got a series against the Red Sox down at Progressive Field, and then they were, are taking on the mighty Astros this weekend, also mm-hmm. at home on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So it should be a good week of baseball down there, some marquee teams coming in. So, All right, Terry, let's talk some Cavaliers real quick here. Um, you've been getting some emails from fans who are kind of worried about Donovan Mitchell's future in Cleveland. Uh, talk about that for a second. Well, one of the things, when you see LeBron leave twice, you always think, well, whenever these guys, their free agency year comes up, they're out of here. Um, I know a couple fans had it kind of messed up on his contract. They thought that uh, this was upcoming season was his last year and then his player option. But actually, he's got two more. Because if Kobe Altman had traded for a guy with only two years left on his contract, all they gave up, he should have been fired. But, you know, three years is different. So that gives them an opportunity to uh, – have the team develop with him. Um, and just because he 
wanted to play in New York. And it doesn't mean he will or that the Knicks would trade for him or that kind of thing. Clearly, it, you know, he was very disappointing to me in the playoffs. He, where was the guy that averaged 28 points in 39 games for the uh, Utah Jazz? We hardly saw that guy. Saw a lot in the regular season. Didn't see it much in the playoffs. And I don't know if he was trying to uh, fit in with Garland or what. I do think that this upcoming year we'll have a better feel for how Garland and Mitchell play together consistently because they have some nice moments and some others. The Cavs are a weird team because I was looking at when Garland and Mitchell are playing together, they're taking, you know, like 45% of the shots in those games. And that, so if you're, then you throw on Mobley, if you want him to be kind of a offensive force, um, oh, they had to get a small forward that could score and this and that. Well, where's he going to get his shots? I mean, Jared Allen sometimes gets left out. So that that's one of the things they have to, to look at. So Terry, every time I'm watching NBA on TNT, Shaq comes on and he's like, if you're a, if you're a star in this league, you got to score your 25, 28 points. You know, you, you're not getting it done. So he says that every single yeah. game, whoever, whatever he's watching. But if you watch that series, the Cavs were such a non-threat from outside that they were packing the lane, which is where Donovan Mitchell goes to get a lot of his points um, and free throws. I, I mean, which side of that line are you on? That he, he just needs to get it done? Are you in the Shaq camp or in the he didn't have enough support to the outside to free things up camp? I'm more in the Shaq camp on that because he mm-hmm. – he missed a lot of number of outside shots. Uh, Garland was either real good or invisible. He w- it was just a strange thing going on there. Now I hear, you know, well, they got to get rid of um, Jared Allen because he can't shoot threes. Well, as I mentioned in my story today, um, Bam, uh, from Bam out of bio? Bam, Bam out of bio. Out of bio. Bam out of bio. He was one for 12 in threes this year. He's like, 10 for 68 for his career. He doesn't shoot him. He rebounds. He defends. Now, what he the difference between him and Allen is he's aggressive offensively inside. He really wants to score, get those offensive rebounds. But Allen has the stuff to do that. He needs to do it. On top of that, you know, I had a fan ask me, well, does he can he make a shot around the foul line? Well, I looked it up. You could go on StatCast and all this stuff. He was 22 of 44, Jared Allen shooting from the range of 10 to 15 feet. And he shoots 70% at the foul line. So he can make some of those. I'm with, I'm with Charles Barkley, uh, who says, just because a guy, and it's kind of a play on mine, he goes, just because a guy's open with free doesn't mean any fool should just go take a three-point shot. That was all I said. You know, these fools here, like, you know you can't make that shot. I don't care for you. I'm not shoot it, fool. I'm get in there. You know, and it's so <laughs> funny. But it's like, it's true. So you don't need everybody taking those um, because it's like, what do you think Jared Allen need to learn to shoot three pointers or Mo- Mobley? I, I think Mobley's outside shot can develop more, but you just need them to, to play to their strength and the team to go find some shooters because where you really could use the shooters is coming off the bench. You know, I, I'm all for getting some guards that can make some three point shots. Yeah, and Terry, I mean, geez, the draft is two weeks from Thursday, yeah. and all you got to do is watch these playoffs to see to see like the Cavs only have a second round pick, but you can find guys, mm-hmm. not not just in the second round, but like you know, undrafted free agents. I mean, the, how many guys they've been talking about this all all playoffs long about how many undrafted free agents the Heat have that are contributing right now. So you know, it's on Kobe Altman to find those guys either in the second round of the draft since the Cavs don't have a first or other ways. Yeah, and the G League, remember, you could just go get somebody else's G League. It doesn't mean you just have to have your own guys at the charge. You could pick a G League player from somewhere else. I mean, they think this Sam Merrill guy that they had at their G League team, they think he has a chance uh, to be a three-point shooter. You know, you mentioned uh, Windler. I mean, Windler is sort of their version of Aaron Savali, only never had the good year that Savali had. It's just like you just never know what the next injury is going to be. So – but they're out there. So that, that's got to be the challenge now is kind of you have to be good at rummage sales. You know, just go out, check the garage sales, check the state sales. In other words, there are players out there, and you've got to go find them. Yeah, and luckily for the Cavs, they're not looking for 
they're yeah, looking for guys. role players, for role yeah. players. Yeah, uh-huh. they, they have their core guys already, so it's all good. So I thought this was a good stat, Terry, before we move on from basketball. So Kevin Love has reached the NBA Finals every time he's been in the playoffs. Isn't that something? <laughs> five for five. And everybody yeah. was raving about the Nuggets after game one, and now the Heat won game two, and they're right back in it, uh, heading into game three on Wednesday night. So I thought that was a good stat. He's been in the finals five out of five times. That's not many players who've done that, I would say. Yeah, they've kind of taken Kevin out of the rotation as they've gotten deeper, but Kevin helped get him there. And it was a strange year for Kevin because he actually didn't play all that great for Miami in a regular season, shooting like 27% on threes, and then the playoffs came. And we saw the Kevin Love that was here two years ago. I remember coming off the bench and, and doing, boy, that that Kevin Love, I'm not saying that would have helped them beat the Knicks in that series, but it would have been a game changer. Because, oh, it would have helped. It would have helped. Yeah, because he could not just the defensive rebounding, but also help him uh, in terms of long-range shooting. It w- uh, would have really made a difference. But so that, uh, yeah, it, it really would have. And, you know, the cast fell into this thing of, well, Kevin can't defend the pick and roll. And then he wasn't shooting well on top of it. Well, you're not talking about Kevin playing 30 minutes and can't defend the pick and roll. You're talking about Kevin playing 18 to 22 minutes, and you should be a good enough coach to adjust to that. The Heat did. And, you know, earlier in his career, the Joker, Yogesh, he said, you know, the problem there, he's a skilled player now. I'm not I'm not going to take that away. But you just put that, his big butt in that pick and roll. He can't guard anybody. He's out there 20 <laughs> feet away. They're driving around. It's a layup drill. Well, they figured it out. And, and also, what do they do? They play to his strength. And he's only with a two-time MVP or whatever he's. He is. I mean, he's, he's just – he's the most and unique a, And a second-round pick. <laughs> Second-round Isn't pick. that something? Yeah. And I do hate – this is another thing um, that I hear in the NBA. And it's like, ah, second-round picks, they really don't matter. I mean, yeah, look, all the analytics say – then we're back to the my rummage sale thing. Uh, they're all saying that. But nonetheless, there are second-round picks – who end up being good players. I mean, Danny Green was a the guy they picked in the second round here. They got impatient with him. Uh, he ended up going to uh, San Antonio, who actually then sent him to the G League with assignment to improve his defense in that. And then he plays like 14 years. Um, so there are second-round picks that maybe don't – you know, Jogic is obviously different because the guy's got Hall of Famer picked in the second round. But some of these others – and I, I just want that's going to be the challenge for Kobe Altman in the front office to so go do it. All right, Terry, let's wrap up with some Hey Terry okay. questions. We got we got a good few this week. Uh, this first one's about your faith column. It's from Vince in Cincinnati, and he says, Hey, David Terry, I've been following you, Terry, for more years than either of us can remember. Of course, I've enjoyed reading your sports columns, but your faith columns really make a difference in many lives. You hit the nail on the head with your recent columns, especially the one about skipping the trite statements about what challenges God allows us to face. A friend of mine just beat cancer, and she did not tell anyone about it until it was over. She explained that when her mother went through the same thing, they were inundated with people telling them that God would not give them something they could not handle. Some insisted on providing advice on medical treatments, etc. She didn't want to face all that nonsense and was willing to give up her support system to do so. Keep up the good work. And again, that's from Vince in Cincinnati. And that column from a couple of weeks ago, Terry, was just about like, that's not true. That you know. I mean, scripturally, yeah. it's very iffy the, the, to, to say that God won't give you more than it can handle. First of all, Everybody dies at some point. I mean, you, you're going to really do it. So at some point, you're going to get more than you can handle. Now, you right. know, as a Christian, you know, you believe heaven calls all this stuff, and, and that's great. But other people, you know, you all face something, and that's not what you need to tell them. You know, you need to say, you know, I, I'm here. A lot of times they just wouldn't mind talking about something else. That's what I've learned. The the blessing of me living in the sports world is when I've had friends going through cancer or other things, uh, we end up talking about the Browns or whatever. And I'm all for being, I always say I'm in the diversion department. I'm glad to be in the diversion department. Um, and it, it's fun to do that. So I appreciate the kind words and 
Uh, I've got a lot of nice emails recently on the, my graduation column, which was, you know, welcome to real life. How do you handle your money? How do you handle your relationships? Uh, how do you feel about God? You know, those are sort of three big things, you know, money, relationships, and God, and, and, and that, which they pay these people $100,000 more, and rarely do they talk about something like that. They're all into, you know, what you can do uh, for, you know, the social level and all this stuff. Um, but you could have really good intentions, but if you do a poor job with money and you do a poor job of relationships and then you're kind of tormented emotionally, that person, I don't care how talented they are. Good luck, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. And check out Terry's graduation column. It just ran last weekend. If you haven't seen that yet, some really good stuff in there. So, all right, Terry, this next one is from Larry Pantages, longtime listener of the podcast from Akron. He says, Hey, Terry. Tommy John turned 80 last month, but of course his pitching elbow is only 49. Thanks to, <laughs> thanks to his, the revolutionary surgery in 1974 that we know as Tommy John surgery. Looking back on the careers of John and Tommy Agee, what should younger Cleveland fans know and understand in the modern era about the risks and rewards of trading unproven young players for an established veteran, in their case, Rocky Calavito? And I think he's talking about, was it 1964, Terry? Yeah. Rocky came back to the Indians, and you've written an entire book about this, but um, that's what he's talking about, right? Yeah, it's before the 65 season. So he came back. Now, at that point, um, the franchise might have been one of those things where they might move to New Orleans or they might move to the different places. It was right at the, the brink of that. And Calavito wanted to come back. Gay Paul, who was running the team, did that. He really could care less about prospects at that point. He just wanted to uh, – you know, get something really good. But they not only did Tommy John, I believe, win over the, more than 270 games after he was traded. Then they traded an outfitter named Tommy Agee, who went on to become a World Series MVP with, I believe, the Mets and played about 10 years. Uh, Calvito played a couple of years, and then that was it. Um, and at a time when their farm system was not producing a ton of good players, uh, that really hurt them. Although, actually, if you go back and look at the Indians of the middle to late 60s, uh, they were coming up with pitchers. Sam McDowell, Sonny Siebert, you mentioned Tommy John. They had a guy named Steve Hargan, a chance to be very good, hurt his arm. Um, a guy named Mike Paul, who then became a longtime um, uh, executive and scout for several teams. He was another really good young left-handed pitcher, hurt his arm, too. They had a, a strong period there of starting pitching that they were there. But, you know, this is like they would take these kids at 19 to 20 years old and they throw 220 innings in the minors. I mean, they just, you know, all kinds of – there were no pitch counts of any consequence. And, of course, the, in typical fashion of many things in life, so you go from no unlimited pitch counts to 12,000 innings to, oh, he's only going to throw three innings. He's on a 51, not a 50, a 51 <laughs> pitch count or something like that. So uh, they always swing back and forth. But yeah, it was like 270 wins and a World Series MVP for a couple of good years of Rocky Calavito. Oof, man. All right. Thanks for that question. We appreciate that. Last one here is from Neil House from Akron. He says, hey, Terry and David, this question is sure to bring joy to you, David. This year's NHL playoffs have been incredible to watch. The NHL does a fantastic job with in-game commentary, instant replay, and great camera angles. Plus, there's no other sport where the athlete can get stitches in one period and be back <laughs> the next. Terry, have you watched any hockey? Where do hockey players rank in terms of toughness and athleticism among all types of athletes? Thanks, as always, for the great work you do. Thanks for that, Neil. Um, I don't know, Terry. <laughs> all right, I'm going to let you answer this, but A, I've watched none of the in the playoffs. B, I think hockey players were probably the toughest guys going. They're a lot of fun to interview, too, when I have interviewed them. Now, C, I'm going to ask you this. Um, Vegas is in the finals, correct? Correct. Aren't they like a five-year-old franchise? Yeah, it's crazy. So when they when they had the expansion draft there, they changed the rules because they thought in the past the expansion teams were really at a disadvantage. So they only they, they let teams protect fewer players than they had in the past. And Vegas ramped it up right away. I mean, they, they went to the Stanley Cup finals like right away. Mm -hmm. and, um, but anyway, get to, get back to Neil's question. Like, I agree with everything, Neil. Like, there's you don't see any flopping in the NHL, right? No, <laughs> like there, there's no flopping. It's, it's frowned upon by everybody. And you're kind of an outcast if you do it. 
Um, but I, I, I enjoyed the playoffs for that. I also, it's, it, there's just really funny things that happen. There's this guy named, uh, that Kachuk, he plays for Florida and he's a, the son of a former NHLer. He scored like three overtime game winning goals. And after he scored each one, he didn't celebrate. He just waved for all of his guys to leave. <laughs> <They just left. laughs> he scores, he's like, let's go. And they just skated off the ice. And that was it. I just thought that was hilarious. It was just a very hockey thing to do. I love um, the fascination with the Stanley cup. When you get it, all, yeah. the, all the tradition and everything with that, that's really cool. That, that is, Hey, uh, I got a question because I don't pay attention to this too. Uh, the Columbus franchise, didn't they mm-hmm. just hire a big name coach? Uh, Mike Babcock who yeah. was with Detroit. You're right. Yeah. Last week they hired him. I think that's a great hire and mm-hmm. he's really good with the players and um, he's got a proven track record of success. So. The reason I said that there was an ESPN thing or one of those where they had kind of inside, you know, what of uh, film thing basically on him. And I think the Red Wings or whatnot. And I found them fascinating to just watch that. I knew nothing about hockey, but I was interested to watch the, you, first of all, you saw the culture that Neil was talking about. Secondly, just his style of, of coaching. And he looks like he's a turnaround guy. Now, how does Columbus draw? Pretty well, I think, but okay. they got to start winning. They got to start winning. They, they, I think they've won one playoff series in the last 10 years, probably. So they've got to start winning, but they've uh, gone through a lot of coaches too, haven't they? They have, and I know they were bummed. They were they were in the running for the number one pick, and they ended up number three. So that bummed yeah. out a lot of fans. But uh, anyway, enough hockey talk. So um, thanks for that question. Hey, if you want to hit us with a question or comment about the podcast, you can send that in to sports at cleveland.com and just put Terry's talking in the subject line. We'll try and get it on on our next podcast. So I think we're good, right, Terry? I am very good. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will talk to you next week on Terry's Talking.